Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and uh, a couple of quick housekeeping items before we get started. I want to just mention, if you're listening and uh, you'd like to learn about all the wonderful things our show is doing, please check out our website at womentowatch.net, and that's women, the number two, watch.net. Uh, I'm joined today in the studio by uh, a local lady, uh, Kathleen Wilkinson, who is a partner in the Philadelphia law firm of Wilson, Elser, Moskowitz, Edelman, and Dicker. Welcome to the studio, Kathleen. Hello. It's great to be here. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad we finally got you in here. You and I have met uh, uh, several times, I think, at a couple networking events, and uh, and we connected. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk about some of the things that you're doing um, in the Philadelphia area pertaining to women. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. We met, I think it was at the Women of the Profession meeting for the Philadelphia Bar Association. That's right. That's right. Perhaps the most recently Yes, meeting that we had exactly, um, and but as we always do in the beginning of this show, I want to um, have the audience find out a little bit about you and your background and what led you to this position. So, um, I understand you grew up in Union, New Jersey. That's correct. Which where is that? Union is North Jersey. So where I grew up, I could walk to the end of my block, take a, a bus, and be in New York City and. Basically a half hour. Wonderful. So northern New Jersey. Correct. And uh, tell me a little bit about your family growing up and and what that was like. Well, we had a very um, humble beginning. My uh, father was a school teacher in Union. My mother was a homemaker. Uh, My sister Denise and I uh, were very close, very good friends growing up. And as we went through school, my father always said to both of us that, you know, a woman can do anything that a man can do. So even though we had no lawyers in our family, no professional people in our family, I learned about the power of education. And my father, being a school teacher, instilled that in me at an early age. My sister and I both ended up working. Our first jobs were at, were at the Union ShopRite, right down the street, where I initially was the produce girl, and I would weigh the vegetables, load the fruits, you know, take the the old fruits, throw them away. Um, And then I was promoted to become the cashier up front. So I wait on customers and ring up the groceries. Is this while you were in high school? Right after high school. After high school. Okay. And then I was promoted again to work in the front office where I uh, counted out the tills at night, handled the customers' uh, complaints, uh, people who wanted to buy lottery tickets, et cetera. So that was my initial growing up in Union, you know, very humble beginnings, yeah. work hard, go to school, get a second job, which I held during college. Yeah, get a second job. You know, I it's interesting to me that you said, you know, your father said to you um, that, you know, as, as his daughter, you know, you can do anything um, when it comes to a job. And I always love hearing that because t- I've had a lot of women in here, and it seems to me the ones who got the male support or the support from dad saying, don't let anything hold you back, um, they they seem to go on to great success. I agree 100%. Um, again, my father said, you can do anything with education, anything at all. So 
initially, you know, of course, I was encouraged to go to college. My parents said, you will go to Kane College, now Kane University, which is in Union. So I'd drive myself to Kane, go to classes, and then return, work at the ShopRite. And I knew at an early age that I did want to go to law school. So the deal was, if you go to college and live at home, then if you still want to go to law school, you can decide where you want to go to law school. So really through my father and my mother's encouragement, that's what led me to end up, in fact, going to law school. And how did you like uh, being in school close to home? Did you did you have any ideas that, you know, you might want to go further away or did that well, work out? I, I would have liked to have gone further away, except um, in high school, my mother um, became ill um, and she was not really in a position to, to be the homemaker that she had been. So my father had a lot of responsibilities. So my sister and I, we were very obedient. You know, we didn't make waves. We did what we were told. So I think it was probably good in the end that I did live at home during yeah. college, even though I know now having my own children and knowing that they, two of them have gone away to college, I know I would have definitely enjoyed that experience. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, a, that's you know, a, a wonderful thing that you were there to, to offer that support. That's a tough thing when you're young, but um, it was. you know it's the right thing. Yes, at yeah. the time, definitely. I had to be there for my father and my sister and try to support my mother while she was going through her right. illness. So um, before before we started, you actually mentioned to me that you have a teaching degree as I well do. as um, a law degree. I do. And so which came first? Well, you know, living at home all those years and seeing my father be a teacher, he was a teacher of social studies in the Union public school system. He eventually became the supervisor of social studies in the high school as well as the two junior high schools. And he said, you know, teaching is great. It would make be a great career for you. Um, so I always had my eye on law, and I'll tell you why in a moment, but I decided when I went to college that I would major in political science because that would be the closest degree where I would learn about law in college. Mm -hmm. But I also got a, a secondary degree in education. So I did, you know, student teaching, you know, was certified and still am certified to teach in New Jersey. So you never know. Someday if I have another career, maybe I can teach law. Yeah. Well, those two, to me, those two degrees, are, you know, blend very nicely together. I mean, as an attorney, when you're sitting with clients, you're probably doing a lot of teaching about the law and, and what people's, you know, options are and all of that. So I would think that they complement each other. Yes. And, you know, learning how to control a classroom. I mean, that's always helpful to be able to organize people and organize thoughts. Right, and, right. You know, gather everyone together. I, I get a sense that you've always been a people person. You I know? am. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yes, I like networking. I like Meeting being out. people. Absolutely. I love doing things. Yeah. I love being busy. Yeah. So talk about your um, your first job out of uh, out of law school. Where did you go initially? Well, so if, I, I went to law school locally. I went to Villanova Law School. Mm -hmm. And my first job was at Cruz and Evans and Byrne. Uh, I was very interested in products liability law, which is if someone is hurt because of a, if, say they're involved in a, an airplane crash or a consumer product, a toaster, um, you know, burns them, they bring a lawsuit against the manufacturer. I always liked products liability, not only in law school, but that's what I wanted to do. So Cruz and Evans and Byrne had an aviation department. Mm -hmm. So my first job was to work on aviation cases, which was Ooh. very exciting. Yes, very yes. exciting. Yes, I handled some major, major cases. And I was there for a few years, and then I had an opportunity to go to Wilson-Elser when they were opening up their Philadelphia office. 
and I was able to get in on the ground floor, and that's where I have been ever since. Okay. Um, you live locally here, just outside of Philadelphia, for the listeners in, in Haverford, Correct. and you're married to an attorney, your husband, and you have a long history of, of working together, and uh, you met in law school. Am I correct? That's correct. So in law school, I was a Y. My maiden name began with a Y, Mm -hmm. and my husband, Wilkinson, is a W. So we sat just a couple seats away from each other in class because they seated us in alphabetical order. And our lockers were very close together. And he was one of the first people I met on the first day of law school. So he was from Massachusetts and very nice. And we started just as friends, you know, meeting for we met the first weekend of law school for pizza at Galifty's, and we'd go here and there during law school and different activities. Uh, And obviously we were dating, except we thought no one else in the law school knew about it, (laughs) except everybody did. Is that not allowed? (laughs) No, you can date. You can date. But we were very private about it. And, you know, we ended up getting on the law review. So I would drive by the law school uh, back in the day when people were, you know, studying in the law library to see if his car was in the parking lot. It's a very distinguished blue Camaro. And if I saw that car, I would go study in the law library. (laughs) And so here we are today. Um, We were, you know, after we graduated law school, we both ended up in Philadelphia law firms. He went to Morgan Lewis initially. And then we got married four years later at the chapel Villanova at Villanova oh, University, yes, right so on I. Lancaster. Oh, you got married I there too? Did, I did. Oh, I had did. no idea. Yes. It's a beautiful church. It's a beautiful church. Beautiful. And so now here we are today, uh, married almost 30 years with three children, and we all, you know, live in Haverford. Yeah. And we should mention one of your lovely daughters is in the studio with us today, Lauren. <laughs> yes, she is. Um, I'm very proud of all my children. Lauren just graduated from Franklin and Marshall College and with a major in French and international relations. She also has had a little bit of radio experience yes. and has her own show at Franklin and Marshall College. Mm-hmm. My other daughter, Lindsay, graduated from Tufts University a few years ago, and my son, Michael, is a 10th grader okay. at Episcopal. Oh, my gosh. You're, you're a busy lady. We're very busy in you're my very house. very busy. Very busy. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, because I know that you, you're... Your interest, probably uh, one of the interests in coming on the show, is because all of the work you are doing uh, for women, supporting women and women's initiatives. And um, what what has it done for you to have the support of your husband, who's also an attorney, um, kind of cheering you on as you, um, you know, move from one endeavor to the next? That's a great question because, you know, graduating from a state college uh, in New Jersey, living at home, this was the first time I was away was in was at Villanova and um, I met people who had graduated from Ivy League schools that I was competing with in my in my class Um, yet I was very fortunate because it turned out that Villanova Law School was so nurturing and my husband of course he was my friend then but he was so supportive it's been wonderful for me as a lawyer to be married to another lawyer because he knows my beginnings. I know his beginnings. We sat in the same classes together. We have the same values. So we both kind of encourage each other to do their best. And, you know, he's pushed me. I've pushed him. I've been able to move up in my law firm. He's moved up in his career. He's now at Cozen and O'Connor. And then in the meantime, I was getting involved through my first um, activity with the Bar Association was through the Women's Profession Committee of the Philadelphia Bar Association. And that's where I said, here are women 
that I can relate to, that I can talk to about the challenges of being a woman lawyer, of raising a family, balancing career and family at the same time, not having, when I graduated law school, many role models at all. Um, And in fact, Sandra Day O'Connor, Justice O'Connor, became the first woman Supreme Court justice the same year I graduated from law school. So having those role models starting to emerge and having a very supportive husband was really essential for me to be as successful as I've been mm-hmm. in my career. Now, is it, where did that desire to to become involved in women's issues develop? In other words, when you noticed that about Sandra Day O'Connor in, in law school, were you paying attention to that and thinking, look at, you know, the strides, but we have a long way to go? Where did that, I guess, where did that desire or motivation come from? A few places. As I mentioned earlier, as a young girl, one of my favorite movies was Adam's Rib, where Catherine Hepburn played the part of a woman attorney, and uh, Spencer Tracy played the part of the the man attorney, but they were married to each other. Mm -hmm. Woman lawyer married to a male lawyer, and they both were on opposite sides of the case. And I said, wow, this is really interesting. I really like this. Look at, she dresses so eloquently. She's in court. They live in a beautiful house. She's lovely. And, you know, I said, you know, I knew no lawyers whatsoever. Um, But at the same time, I knew through my father and my mother the power of education. So I think in me, maybe because my mother had been ill in high school, that it just made me work as hard as I could. And I knew that for me to have other role models that I could talk to, whether they were my peers, which, again, when I got out of law school, probably we had one-third of the graduates were women, but we didn't have a lot of women partners. We didn't have a lot of women judges. We just got the first woman Supreme Court justice. So I felt that for me to know how to be a lawyer, how to be a woman lawyer, I needed other women that I could talk to mm-hmm. about how to do that. Yeah. Sometimes mentors are everything, or it takes one person to say one thing on one given day that kind of spurs you to, um, you know, to push forward. I agree. Yeah. What do you think it is about, you know, there have been many strides for women um, to be successful outside of the home and in different industries, but yet we still have so far to go. Why do you think that is? You know, there's a lot of reasons. I think the primary reason is that for those women who want to have children, it's very difficult to you know, be at the point in your career as a young lawyer where you, maybe you've been out seven, eight years, your biological clock is ticking, and you're also on partnership track if you're in a law firm. And how do you balance all that? And some women decide, maybe I will take myself off the partnership track because it's too much for me to juggle both, or maybe I'll go part-time, or maybe I'll step out of the profession for a while. So that's one area, which is a problem for women who want to have children. The other area is it's very difficult, I think, for women to develop business the same way that men can. Because, you know, when I was going through the process, the way I developed business was through making uh, friends with other women clients and trying to develop women as my clients who would refer me business. But Many women don't do the same typical things that men do. You know, they don't go out necessarily on the golf course to bring in business or, you know, they're not as interested maybe in sitting and watching, you know, certain sports activities. So that's another area. And then, of course, if you don't see women in those power positions, if they're not a managing partner or if they're not 
the head of an office or if they're not a head of a practice team, then you don't have someone that you could say, here's my example. So that has happened during my career. Now we do have managing women partners and heads of offices and practice teams, et cetera. But even today, the percentage of women equity partners in law firms, and I'm a woman equity partner in a law firm, is approximately 17%. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been that same number for the last 20 years for all of these reasons. Right. But that doesn't mean we give up. That just means we have to keep on working and trying. We have to keep pushing that number up by encouraging law firms to have women's initiatives, um, diversity programs that will help women and and diverse attorneys learn the tools and skills that they need in order to succeed in their careers. Right. One of the things that I think is um, so important to this cause is when men step up and talk about the value of having more women on boards and in CEO positions and really what that can do from a financial bottom line to have the diversity and, you know, the difference in in opinions and ideas. Um, Speak about that a little bit and and whether you're seeing that support now from men as opposed to just women kind of rallying around each other. You're 100% correct. Um, Men and women have to work together on this in order to improve the number of women representatives on corporate boards. Um, the number of women on corporate boards still is not at an adequate number. I'm also on the board of the Forum of Executive Women, which is also based in Philadelphia. And we're trying to place more women on corporate boards because you need to have diversity on boards, women on boards, and men on boards. And men have to work with us in order to improve that because it's going to be more representative of society and what society wants. Women are the biggest consumers in the United States. So if you're talking about, and I'm not going to name names, but if you're talking about consumer product boards, that's a no-brainer. Women should be on those boards. If you're talking about, you know, insurance companies, I mean, women are also one of the larger largest purchasers of insurance products. So it makes business sense Mm -hmm. that Boards are diverse, and men have to recognize and understand that. And, and you know, as time goes on and those board positions open up, you know, as people retire, hopefully more women and diverse people will be on those boards. Exactly. And, you know, we, we have seen a lot of firsts um, over the past several years, maybe, you know, further back, um, that people are talking about now. And no, it, obviously, if, if we're noticing it and it's in the news, um, it hasn't happened before, you know, where women are becoming, you know, general managers and CEOs of companies where it's historically been men. And um, what do you think is contributing to these firsts? Do you think it's these initiatives and, and the conversations that we're having? I do. I think it's all of that. I mean, and even look at, um, even look in, in our political world, for example, um, you know, and, and this won't necessarily be a political conversation, but, you know, we're starting to see, you know, more women senators. We're starting to see perhaps our first woman or second woman candidate for president, perhaps. Um, we haven't had our first woman governor yet in this state, but in other states we have. So I think it's all of that. I think the political world has to change. The corporate world has to change. I think there's definitely a lot more attention today on diversity and inclusion than there was 20 years ago. Exactly. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, I'm going to be asking Kathleen about something that she's been a part of, almost a first, uh, a role that she took over in, in 2013. We'll be right back.
Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. 
Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined in the studio today by a local Philadelphia woman. Her name is Kathleen Wilkinson, and Kathleen is a partner in the Philadelphia law firm of Wilson, Elser, Moskowitz, Edelman, and Dicker. And I'm proud that I said that without, without a slur. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about something that's been, um, you know, a great accomplishment for you is being elected as one of only six women chancellors of the Philadelphia Bar Association. And that was your position in 2013. That's correct. And um, first I want to I want to know, you know, when that happened, you know, how that made you feel. And then, of course, what you learned uh, from that that year. Well, um, it was a true honor for me to become chancellor. It's not a position that you just snap your fingers and say, oh, I want to be the chancellor. Um, I had been involved in many committees over the years, starting with, again, the Women in the Profession Committee, which I became a co-chair of. I was encouraged to run for the Board of Governors, which I did. Again, contested election, you have to run and campaign and then after serving on the board, I was encouraged to run for the secretary position, and which I did. So I had held a lot of positions before I decided to run to become the chancellor. So I had to run to become the vice chancellor first. Okay. And I, I did have, um, I did step into the campaign one year, and then that happened to be the year my mother passed away, 2009. So I withdrew, and then I ran again the following year. And I, I, I was in a contested election, but I was successful. I, I won the election. So here I was. Now I was the vice chancellor in 2011. And I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I'm going to become the chancellor. I can't believe this. You know, I'm thinking like about my childhood as a, as a girl in Union, New Jersey. And now here I'm going to be at ShopRite, <laughs> working at the ShopRite. And I did, you know, part-time substitute teaching as well during the day once I got my law my uh, undergraduate degree. Mm-hmm. And here I was. Now he's going to be the head of the Philadelphia Bar Association. But as soon as I became the chancellor in 2013, I hit the ground running. I had a lot of plans. I had a lot of things that I wanted to do. And we are one of the largest metropolitan bars in the United States. We have 13,000 members. And we are as big, if not bigger, than a lot of the state bars. So it's a huge responsibility. You're the official spokesperson for the bar. I went on many media interviews, TV, radio. We issued press releases on a regular basis. We spoke out about access to justice issues. We worked on serving the public interest. We had many issues that came up across the year. And also there were the initiatives that I wanted to work on, my own initiatives. So Mm -hmm. it was a wonderful position. And... Probably what I learned the most about it was that, you know, you can have your own leadership style. Everyone is different. And as a woman attorney, being one of the very few women attorneys in over the 210-year history of the bar as of that point in time, I wanted to be myself. And so I tried to be collaborative. I tried to make sure that I had, you know, diverse leadership involved with me, made many appointments of women and minorities to positions I established the Chancellor's Leadership Institute where I conducted programs over the course of the year, bringing in top thought leaders from the Philadelphia region Mm -hmm. to talk about issues that impact upon women in the law, minorities in the law, how to teach young lawyers what they need to do today to succeed in today's legal world. And I, I was myself, and I became comfortable 
Um, and, you know, I, I learned to speak without any preparation whatsoever. I learned how to handle those phone calls from the press. And it was just a tremendous experience for me. You know, I, I love that, that you spoke about um, your, the leadership style. And I think that that's really important. One of the things that's impressed me about you, and I can tell that you are comfortable with who you are. And one of the mistakes I think women make, especially when it comes to leadership, is trying to be either like the men or like another woman that they see they feel they should be. And really, when you just allow yourself to lead the way you feel most comfortable, um, people respond to that. And and my guess is that, you know, um, that, that you did that, and that is why you saw uh, the success that you did well, thank, and that you have. Well, thank you. I appreciate your compliment. I, you know, people would come up to me and would say sometimes, you're from Philadelphia. You're a Philadelphia lawyer. Some people have images about, you know, Philadelphia lawyer can be good or maybe it can be bad. And, and and some people say, oh, you're from Philadelphia. You're so nice. And you're the head of the Bar Association. <laughs> I was like, well, I said, if I'm doing anything right this year, at least I'm showing you that, you know, Philadelphia lawyers are great lawyers. You know, mm-hmm. we are nice. We work hard. You know, if I did anything to, you know, can continue to show that the Philadelphia legal community should be highly regarded, then I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Uh, but you can be yourself and you shouldn't feel that you have to be uh, mean or aggressive or impolite. You can be assertive and firm, yet still polite and civil. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I conduct myself. You don't have to be loud and slam your hands down on tables. You can be quiet spoken and still be effective people listen to you even if you are soft spoken in fact yeah. they may listen even harder to if make you're sure not what you're what yes what you're saying you might be yelling at them in a soft voice so you know i i tell all women to be yourself develop your own style be yourself don't try to be someone you're not mm-hmm. and if you are yourself then you won't be nervous you know, you'll you'll be you'll feel like you're you're writing yourself and it will give you more confidence. Yeah, it's so true. You know, you feel comfortable in your skin. And and I think it is, you know, your your work is more powerful when it feels that the language you're using and the communication is authentic. That's correct. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, when I first got a law at a law school, women were wearing like those navy blue suits and these little bow ties and things. And they were trying to copy the suits that men wear. Right. And I have over the years learned that I am better off wearing colorful suits, colorful dresses, mixing up a bit. And even if you look at what's available for women to wear these days, for professional women to wear, there's beautiful clothes. We don't have to dress in like a pin, man. Yeah. pinstripe suits like men. We can be ourselves. Unless unless we're comfortable that way. Some Correct. women yeah, are more comfortable, kind of buttoned up. Right. You can, but you don't have to. But you don't have to. Yeah. Um, as the chancellor, I'm curious, we're, um, as far as what was going to be happening with the Bar Association that year, did you lead those um, initiatives or or was it more of a collaborative? This is what we're going to be addressing uh, this year. A combination of both. Okay. So issues always crop up. Anytime you have um, a new chancellor coming in, you never know what issue will come your way. So the chancellor has to develop a strategy in conjunction with, you know, other members of the bar to decide how are we going to handle that issue? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for instance, access to to justice um, in the civil world. People don't realize that in the criminal world, you 
do have a right to counsel if you cannot afford one. One will be appointed for you. But in the civil world, if you have a family court matter and your children are about to be taken away from you or your house is going to be foreclosed upon, you don't have an automatic right to counsel. So we worked very hard last year collaborating with a whole team of people and other bar associations to develop strategies on that. Mm -hmm. And that was called our Access to Justice Coalition, where we had statewide hearings, which were convened by Senator Greenleaf. This was a massive undertaking where we had maybe, you know, 50 people at a minimum involved with that. But then we could have something else happen where the chancellor has to speak out about an important issue. And as long as it's something that's within the parameters of what the Philadelphia Bar Association has already gone on record as supporting, for instance, we obviously support doing pro bono work to the public, helping the public cause. Uh, we could speak out on any issue as long as it's consistent with our overall goals. Um, if it's a trade issue, you know, some piece of legislation is getting passed down that might adversely affect lawyers then I am authorized to speak out against that legislation. But then we also have like, you know, seven sections, you know, dealing with anything from business law to family law to criminal law, and they all have their own chairs. Mm -hmm. And then we have numerous committees. You know, we have, we talked about the Women the Profession Committee. We have a, a rules committee. We have a public interest civil rights committee. I could go on and on. Each of those committees have representatives. And we probably have about 30 committees. So things bubble up mm -hmm. through all those committees, through all those sections. They might want to pass a resolution. There could be something important going on in the, in the Philadelphia community. And they might develop a resolution that might say, we want the Philadelphia Bar Association to do something about this issue. And then that would end up getting uh, presented to our Board of Governors, which I was you know, the, the head of, I was the head of the entire bar association. So it's a lot of collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to have, you know, diversity of thought, inclusion. So all of that works together under many levels. Right. So I work together and alone. That, that's such a tough thing to manage because everybody has their own, I, I guess, agenda or what's important to them. And um, having to determine which issues are going to be addressed um, at which time I would think is, is, is a tough position to be in. And you have to be a good negotiator and um, you're diplomatic. Absolutely. And, you know, I had to meet with, you know, state representatives. You know, I mentioned Senator Greenleaf. I regularly would meet with our chief justice, mm -hmm. Ronald Castile. I would regularly speak to the president judge of the Court of Common Pleas. So I was dealing with, and that's just a few examples, mm -hmm. you know, leaders from throughout this region I would also be meeting with the heads of other bar associations, obviously the Pennsylvania Bar, which, by the way, did you know, Susan, that my husband, Tom, was the president of the Pennsylvania Bar, and we overlapped for almost six months at the same time. Wow. So if I had to talk to the president of the Bar Association with the Pennsylvania Bar, you know, we had very good relations during that during that time frame. <laughs> good connections. They <laughs> very good connections. So you had to be ready to go, talking at any point. My day was busy from yeah. the time I woke up till the time I went to bed. Mm -hmm. You know, most of my day was devoted to bar association activities. I never thought I would be so busy as I was. Right. But somehow we managed. Yeah. It, it sounds so very exciting to me. Um, but obviously, when you're in a position like that, there's always there's there's we talk about this. There's a lot of expectations placed on um, not just women, but men. 
who hold high positions. Um, and I'm wondering if those expectations are motivational to you or are they sometimes, you know, a, a pressure? And how do you handle those expectations? I'll be really honest. I love working under pressure. You do? <laughs> I do. Because okay. it, it brings out the best in me. Yeah. Um, I don't like to feel stressed, which is different than working under pressure. But, you know, the more I have on my plate, the more I get done. You know, the old adage, give a busy person something to do and they'll get it done. Right. Um, So I thrive on that. So it just keeps pushing me to just want to work harder. Again, the mantra from my parents, work harder, you know, learn, you know, about the issue, uh, be willing to take it on. I, you know, I never say no unless I'm so time constrained that I cannot possibly do something. Yeah. I love a challenge. Do you ever? Do you ever have self-doubt? I do. Um, I don't show it. I I, I do recommend that, uh, if, especially for women, we always must appear to be confident at all times. Never let it show that you have any doubts or anything. So, you know, I'm very good trying to, you know, have people not read my, my face and yeah. not see me having self-doubt. But I learned that if you use your mind and you, the education that you have, you can figure things out. And you talk to people. I can call. I have so many friends and contacts in the legal community. I talk to my daughters. I mean, they're, you know, Lauren, who's here today, I mean, I get great advice from my children who are now, you know, have college degrees as well as from my peers. So yeah. that's how you resolve your self-doubts. Well, that's really important. You're, you're, obvi- you're willing to reach out and say, you know what, I'm having a tough time making this decision. What do you think? Um, that's sometimes uh, difficult for women to kind of admit that maybe they don't know something. And I think it's always really important to reach out to others for help. Absolutely. And there's nothing more flattering to someone who wants to be a mentor than getting a phone call from another peer or from some younger person who says, you know, can you help me with this problem? What is your advice? And I am more than happy to help. Um, I, I always like to ask this question. If Obviously, the, the law profession is what you do, and um, you're involved in a lot of organizations. Um, actually, I wanted to, to know if you wanted to speak about an organization that's close to your heart, outside of the law, um, but also if there's something – this is kind of two, two questions – if there's something that you still want to do um, outside of, of the, uh, the law that you practice. If it were, if I were to talk about outside the law, I mean, the form of executive women does include lawyers. So that might not be fair to mention that group, but that's a very stimulating group because it's women professionals in different professions Mm -hmm. throughout this region. So I'm meeting accountants and, um, you know, architects and medical people. It's great. Yeah. But if I'm to completely remove myself from professional work, it, it, it would probably be related to Cape May activities because I'm very involved in, um, we have the Cottagers Association in Cape May, which is part civic-minded and part social. And I've been on their board for many years. I'm a past president of that organization. And I just love it because I'm on the board with great people from Cape May. We talk about Cape May issues. 
Are Cape you, May's you my passion. May? I have a house in Cape okay. May. Are you so <laughs> that's my passion. If I can go to living Cape May beach. at any time. Yes, living on the beach. So if I were to do something different, um, you know, I am admitted to practice law in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And I handle cases in Cape May from time to time. Mm-hmm. Um, all different types of cases and matters, business matters, et cetera. But I, l- I love anything connected with Cape May. So who knows what I could end up doing? Yeah, well, who doesn't love Cape May? <laughs> it's a wonderful little town. Um, we're going to take one last quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about uh, some of the awards that you've received over the years. We'll be right back. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. Have you ever wondered about the magic of Paris? Traveled there before? You haven't experienced Paris until you've traveled with us. I'm Chloe Johnson, the owner of CJ Tours. I became hooked on the mystique of all things Parisian after just one visit to the City of Light. CJ Tours, a travel, fashion, and product company, provides an experience unlike any other when it comes to exploring the hidden gems of Paris. We connect you with boutiques off the beaten path. We provide the opportunity to go behind the scenes with some of the most celebrated designers Paris has to offer. You can even purchase one-of-a-kind French pieces as mementos of your trip or ask us to source that special piece just for you. CJ Tours and our unique products are designed to provide that Parisian je ne sais quoi and allow you to experience Paris like never before. To learn more, contact me at Chloe Johnston at cjshoppingtours.com or simply visit chloejohnston.com for more information. 
When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, Wealth Management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back to Women to Watch, everyone. Um, I'm here this afternoon in the studio with Kathleen Wilkinson. And Kathleen is a partner in the Philadelphia law firm of Wilson Elser, Moskowitz, Edelman, and Dicker. And uh, we're talking all about leadership, uh, women's leadership, diversity. Um, and one of the things, you know, Kathleen is a very humble woman. And uh, she's received multiple awards throughout her career, which I think are important to point out because that's an acknowledgement that um, not only is she doing great work, but that you're affecting other people and they're noticing it and they want to say thank you. Um, One of the uh, awards you received is from the uh, Pennsylvania Diversity Help me out. I, I Council. The council. And um, no one can argue that bringing more diversity into the workforce is, is going to be a bad thing. So when people acknowledge that the work you are doing is, is making a difference, how does that make you feel? And, and how does that affect your motivation to, to keep working? Well, you're, you're correct. I don't like attention drawn to myself. I don't do anything in order to get an award. Mm-hmm. I, I go about my work. It's part of my DNA. But the award you just mentioned, which was um, presented very recently in the presence of General Colin Powell, that was truly special. You know, to meet him, to have him sitting there right behind you when you're receiving the award, everyone in the United States respects General Colin Powell. Right. And to be able to get an award from the Pennsylvania Diversity Council completely out of the blue with him there. It was just awesome. Yeah. I won't pretend it wasn't. And it, it it certainly is very nice to have that work recognized. And I think that it's very good for not so much that I received it, but for people to see that there are people out there that are quietly working mm-hmm. behind the scenes, you know, on diversity issues, which is very close and dear to my heart, so that they recognize that there are leaders in this community that, you know, I think my beginnings were, were pretty humble, mm-hmm. you know, living with, you know, a mother who was ill in high school and my father supporting the family while working as a school teacher. And suddenly I became the head of the Bar Association and here I'm receiving an award and General Colin Powell is present. But it doesn't stop what I do. I, it certainly encourages me to keep working. It's not like, oh, I got that award. I'm done. I mean, right. no, I have yeah. lots to do. And right. um, I'm now getting even more active in the Pennsylvania Bar, which presented me their highest award for women, the Ann Alpern Award. It's presented annually to a Pennsylvania lawyer that has been a mentor and a leader in the Pennsylvania legal community. 
and now I'm on the Pennsylvania Bar Association's board. So I have a new organization to be on the board of now, and I can have an impact there as I've had an impact in the Philadelphia Bar Association. So the work continues. And what I'll do in the future, I, I will continue to remain involved in the Pennsylvania Bar. I'll continue to work on diversity issues in my firm. My firm has a diversity committee. The head of the diversity committee came to the presentation by General Colin Powell, as did uh, several partners and, and friends from the Philadelphia legal community. So I have more work to do. Mm-hmm. So it certainly helps me to want to keep going. Yeah, it feels good. It feels it good does. to receive an award and have someone say you're doing a good job. It's kind of a validation that you're doing the right thing. It wasn't sought. These things come in out of the blue, but it's very nice. Right. And I love how you said, you know, you're just kind of quietly doing your work. You know, we don't have to be out there saying, look at me, look at me. You know, if you're doing the right thing and, and you're, um, you know, consistently moving forward, um, really great things can happen. That's a really good point. Um, you know, I, I think it's important for people to consider that you don't need to be out there advertising these things. You know, with social media and, you know, within your firm, my law firm certainly sends out announcements and things because they're proud and they want these things known. But it's for me, it's better to work quietly. Mm-hmm. It really is. That's my style. Yeah. And inform and inform as you, you know, absolutely as you're, as you're moving forward. Um, my, my belief is that, you know, we really all have the potential for leadership and to be leaders. And when I think about young women in particular, um, the pressures on them today and young men, I should say the younger generation. Right, Lauren? She's nodding over there. There's a ridiculous amount of pressure to do everything perfectly. Um, We have a lot of experts and, um, you know, tutors and counselors telling them how to get the best grade on the test and how to be the best athlete. It's kind of unrealistic. And I'm wondering, and you have a daughter. Do you have two daughters? Two daughters and a son. Two daughters. What do you see as, as critical in speaking to them about and helping them understand that they don't have to be perfect um, and, you know, I guess my, my question really lends more to the confidence and self-esteem issue because I think when you have that much pressure on yourself, you kind of start to feel I'm not as good as everyone else around me. So what advice would you give, I should say, to young women and what do you say to your daughters about that? Well, they shouldn't feel that way. And my daughter certainly knows that, you know, I don't want you coming over to my house today because the kitchen is a wreck. You know, we were, we left quickly to get over here. Um, you know, so you can't you you can't be perfect at all times, and you should not expect that everyone is perfect at all times because no one is. You want to have a professional demeanor. You want to appear to have all the balls in the air, even though they may not really be all in the air. I mean, don't look inside any of my closets because things might fall out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my desk drawers might be loaded with papers, but I know where everything is. Yeah. So it's it's unrealistic for these young people to feel that they have to be perfect. And they really need, I think, to learn themselves. And my children and I were very fortunate that I had confidence in their abilities and I could trust them and they have been able to learn how to take care of themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, with being a full-time lawyer, having bar association activities, you know, they've learned, you know, how to take care of themselves, how to do their laundry, how to load the dishwasher. They may not always clear up the dishwasher or clean the kitchen. They all cook. They all can cook. So when they, you know, when my two daughters went off to college, they were well positioned to take care of themselves Mm -hmm. because 
they got a lot of independence from me growing up. Um, the same is true today. They shouldn't feel that they have to get straight A's, that they have to get, you know, the best possible grades. Not everybody gets straight A's. I mean, you know, and, and if you go on to law school, you're definitely not going to get straight A's in law school yeah. or professional school because right. it gets more difficult. Mm-hmm. You just want to be the best person you can be. Right. Everyone has values and skills and talents. Right. It's it's not to get straight A's. It's to be the best person you can be, to bring out your best qualities. So you these young people need role models that they can look at and say, this is someone that I know deep down, worked hard, did well through her own efforts, but she's not perfect because I'm the first to admit that I'm not perfect. They have to realize that none of these leaders are perfect. Yeah, I think you said something very important when you said they need to to know themselves. Um, that's for anyone. You know, the better you know yourself and your gifts, um, the better off you are. And, in, you know, in this world where the kids all know what everyone is doing all the time, there's that natural... Um, you know, there's that natural tendency to kind of compare. So I think it's probably very good to help our young women determine really who they are as as an original human being and what their gifts are. Absolutely. And bring out those best gifts because each person has different gifts. Each of my three children are completely different people. They all have different talents. And different interests. And different interests. Mm-hmm. And same with my husband, same with myself. So women need to be more confident and learn what what are those special gifts? How can I be a leader in my own quiet way? You know, maybe maybe I'm in college now and I'm not sure what my career should be. You know, should it be in teaching? Should it be in nursing? You know, do I want to be a writer? What are your best gifts? I'm, photography, art, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Your, what is your passion? Whatever your profession is going to be, you have to like it. And you have to be passionate about it. That's right. You never want to pick a profession where you're going to say, this is not for me. Yeah. I love being a lawyer and I'm passionate about it. Otherwise I wouldn't have remained a lawyer for as long as I've been. Yeah. I think that's a secret. Yeah. And some, just to go back for a minute, you mentioned um, the passing of your mom and, and her illness. And that's a tough thing um, for any child. And um, I know she passed when you were an adult. Um, did dealing with that um, lead to your kind of sense that, you know, life is short and I need to um, really find what it is I want to do? Um, or or did that kind of leave some anxiety in you um, dealing with your mother's illness? Well, probably a combination of both, but it definitely toughened me. The fact that my mother was ill and that my father was the sole person responsible for not only bringing you know, bread to the table and, and making money for the family, but also taking care of the house and everything associated with, you know, f- cooking the meals, doing the laundry, et cetera. It toughened me. And I said to myself, you know, I want to work as hard as I possibly can and accomplish as much as I possibly can and, you know, keep myself fit. Um, you know, my mother's illness had nothing to do with anything she did. It was something that just happened to her. Um, so it toughened me, and it mm. gave me resilience. There you go. Resilience. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And independence. My father had to trust us, and we got a lot of independence as a result of that. Resilience, toughness, independence. Yeah. That's what happened to me. That's yeah. what I got. Yeah. That's that's a really wonderful quality, because none of us are going to be void of adversities and challenges. 
And really, I think, you know, when you when you do kind of overcome them or or even live with them, um, that's something to be proud of. Well, at the time, of course, it was difficult going through all that and seeing what my father um, was her caretaker, you know, until she passed away. She continued to have medical problems. But yes, for sure. For sure. Um, we are out of time. And wow, I can't believe how the time quickly went so that fast. went. I think that's a wonderful message to leave with. And uh, I wonder if you can just for the listeners, if someone wants to be in touch with you, offer your contact information. Sure. Um, well, you could go on our website or email me. Probably emailing me is best. It's um, Kathleen.Wilkinson, W I L K I N S O N, at WilsonElser.com. And that's W I L S O N. E-L-S-E-R dot com, or you can just give me a call at the office, 215-606-3905. Okay. Or you can go to the Women to Watch website, and I will have all of Kathleen's information there. Even better. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, That is all for this week of Women to Watch. And again, uh, there's a lot of wonderful things happening with the show. Um, We're going to be launching a new website. We have a new newsletter coming out and lots of um, really exciting events. So please get in touch with us at womentowatch.net. And that's women, the number two, watch.net. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.